0: godly people read their Bible? Stay tuned, because the answer may surprise you. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Now, let's join Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkus, and Nathan Norman as they look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 as we join their discussion.
1: This is Crosstalk, a new Bible-based, discussion-oriented podcast brought to you by Crosstalk Global, a ministry that equips preachers and Bible teachers around the world to communicate the Bible effectively within their home cultures. My name is Kent Edwards, and I'm the founder CEO of Crosstalk Global, as well as the professor of preaching and leadership at Biola University. But this is not a solo conversation. I'd like to introduce you uh, to three of my dear friends and participants who are gonna be with us on our regular uh, discussions on Fridays. Uh, my colleagues, Vicki Hitzkus and Nathan Norman. Welcome, folks. Welcome to Prostalk's po- first podcast. Hello.
2: Thank you.
1: We'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Um, Vicki, is it appropriate to say ladies first? Um, uh, what that's do our fine with me. Know about you? Introduce yourself to us.
2: Well, I have lost every bit of my New York accent. I worked hard <laughs> on that. <laughs> I'm a motivational speaker from Dallas, Texas. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. My father was a preacher and I wasn't Mm -hmm. a kid who rebelled because I just loved to listen to my father preach. (laughs) And I had parents and grandparents, all who loved the Lord, and it made me love the Lord.
1: Yeah. So you'd say that's where your passion for the Bible came from?
2: Yes, it did. I also had... Well, I meant I alluded to it, but my mother's mother was an evangelist. In that, she she would you know the times were different when I was growing up, but she would walk up to a total stranger. She lived in a small town, and she would Mm -hmm. say, "Are you a Christian?" (laughs) Wow. people wouldn't get offended back then it, usually i think i guess they thought they were but if they didn't boy she'd buttonhole them and she'd pray, she'd drag <laughs> them into the kingdom but but she had a way about her she was very frank she was very blunt but she was kind and she led a lot of people to the lord
3: wow excellent Uh, Vicki, uh, how did you get into motivational speaking? What led you to that path, and why do you do it?
2: I started as a television news anchor here in Dallas, and I did that for... a a long time and loved it i learned so much in that job then i started a pr firm because i knew how to get people on television and one Mm. of my clients was zig ziglar who at the time was like the guy he was the number one motivational speaker on the planet and he said vicki you're creative you should speak and i thought yes indeed i should and zig was a wonderful man he was a fine christian he was an outstanding speaker i would tell you my da- i'm i'm taking nothing away from zig Ziglar here he was he he could com- he could command stadiums of people i would tell you my daddy was a better preacher better speaker zig would give you 15 steps to a positive self esteem my father, Dr. Haddon Robinson, would give you one big idea. And I don't care what you're talking about. You can't remember 15 steps to anything. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is, but you can remember one idea. And so I tell people Zig mentored me, but the truth is I would call my dad and go, Dad, help me with this. And so I became a very successful speaker pretty fast because I had two wonderful
1: role models.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Excellent.
1: Nathan, tell us about yourself.
3: Sure. Uh, my name is Nathan Norman, and I am originally also from New York, and I'm still working hard to get rid of my upstate New York accent. Every so often, I'll <laughs> drop drop off the ING a little bit, the G in there, and that's a sure telltale sign. It's not from Brooklyn, so it's not really a cool accent, but uh, still working on that over these years. Uh, and uh, over the course of time, uh, I decided as a pretty young person that I wanted to uh, write and tell stories and uh, had some uh, moderate. moderate. Success getting some stuff in uh, in theater, and uh, and eventually moved out to uh, L.A. Hope hopefully to try and get some things uh, done on the screen and to be a screenwriter. Um, I had some success there. Simultaneous to that, I grew up in the church. I felt a calling in my life uh, to minister and had some success in uh, youth group and adult ministries. And so I was going to seminary at Biola, and uh, I did not understand how these two things would mesh. Uh, my storytelling ability and desires and my desire to communicate the word of God. And so I went through uh, quite a few years figuring that out. And it wasn't until I actually took a preaching class with Kent. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there and these things just mashed, okay, I can tell a sermon winsomely and uh, and creatively. And so I uh, I started, uh, as Vicki was alluding to, using big idea preaching in order to communicate God's word. And I love preaching the narratives. And fortunately, at least, you know, about, three quarters of the Bible is narrative, mm-hmm. uh, because you can really uh, transform people's heart through the wonderful gift of storytelling in the Bible. Oh, yeah.
2: you, you wrote screenplays that Hollywood picked up?
3: Um, that got produced. (laughs) Right. I, I I had three, uh, the major things, three, uh, three films I did with my friend who is a director, uh, for the 168 film festival project, uh, out in, uh, out in LA. And, uh, one of them, uh, won an award and the other two had like honorable mention type things.
2: Huh. A film that we'd know? (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, no, they were just, uh, like, short documentaries. Uh, cool, one, one was about uh, an organization in Compton that teaches uh, kids how to fly airplanes. Um, uh, I think you have to be 14 or older, so they're about 14 and up. Uh, another one was about uh, a couple of Holocaust survivors, and, uh, and, fi- and the, the last one that I did was about uh, people who uh, foster uh, guide dogs.
1: Well, now you've met the Crosstalk podcast team and uh, the three of us are looking forward to sharing time with you every Friday. Full disclosure, um, we know each other through Crosstalk Global. Um, Vicky Hitskis is one of our board members on the executive board of Crosstalk Global, so helps keep us on track as we minister around the world. Nathan Norman is an instructor uh, with me and he's working with students uh, in Hanoi, Vietnam. And uh, he's been there for this is what uh, four years now, five years now.
3: Uh, this would have been year
1: six. This would have been if it wasn't for COVID nineteen. Right. So, but,
3: so it still counts because we're still meeting with them online. So that is that so. is
1: true. We have not stopped, but we are bound together, the three of us, with a passion for God's word and to communicate that to others. And we're happy to have you join in this discussion. As I mentioned, we're planning on uh, having podcasts out every Friday so we're hoping to continue this discussion but let me get back to the opening question do godly people read their bible <laughs> do godly people <laughs> is the mark of a godly person that they are bible readers vicki nathan what do you guys think
2: i haven't thought of it exactly that way but i can the way i would define godly we have to define what godly is okay i, I would define godly as somebody who is walking with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that when I walk with the Lord, I read my Bible. Mm-hmm. When I am not walking with the Lord, I'm not reading my Bible. Okay.
3: Yeah, my answer would be, it should be. <laughs> yeah, uh, But often in uh, in our circles and churches, that's not the case. And uh, even amongst uh, pastors or, or leaders within the church organization, they might look at it for uh, prep or in order to communicate it, but not not necessarily for, for personal growth. Sure. And that, and that shows.
1: Yeah. Well, I would agree with you both. I think that uh, there is obviously a relationship between godly living and um, reading scripture. Uh, scripture certainly is very valuable. What I would say, though, is there's not a one-to-one relationship. In other words, there are many people who know the Bible, who read the Bible, uh, but that in itself alone does not make you godly.
2: I, I agree with that. that
3: absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, if if you if you mean belonging to the Lord, I mean, just explain yourself, Kent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, is a person in right relationship with the Lord?
3: Because they read their Bible. Uh, No, not necessarily. Obviously, the the easy answer is Satan knows the Bible better than me, and uh, he is not in a right right relationship with God. Uh, Good one. The uh, sure. the Pharisees uh, knew their scripture. Uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, rather uh, knew his scripture better than all of us combined. And oh, I hate
2: uh, to lose an argument. I'm going to lose you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Doesn't he often. well, and all of his understanding of scripture led him to the conclusion that Jesus is not the Messiah, and I should kill his followers. He was wrong. Sure. Ah, well, there's no question that the Bible
1: gives us opportunity to be in close relationship with God and to enjoy uh, the life uh, that he wants for us. In Psalm one, for example, we read that, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That person, the Psalmist says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. So there's no question that the psalmist says there's a relationship between um, someone uh, with with the Bible and with uh, being able to enjoy the kind of fruitful, abundant life that God intends us to have. But we may overlook the fact, he said, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. So it's someone who walks in the Word, stands in the Word, whose life is in step with the scriptures. It's not just knowledge, it's doing. So <laughs> in the same way that you and I can know a lot about uh, diets and exercise, but if we don't stop what we eat or get out and do some exercise, we're never going to get thinner or fit. So knowledge in itself doesn't lead to a transformation. Man, you're world. a buzzkill today, you know what? <laughs> I'm <sorry. laughs> <laughs> and just echo what Nathan said, one of the scariest passages in the Bible for me is Jesus' wilderness temptation in Luke chapter 4. You may remember that uh, uh, of all, one of the temptations that Satan brought to Jesus was when he took him up to in Jerusalem, uh, had him stand at the highest point of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written... Satan says, he quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, when he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That scares me to death because Satan quotes the Bible perfectly. Because he knew it. He knew it. It's not knowing the Bible that makes you godly. It's acting on the Bible that makes you godly. If we don't put it into practice, it's... It's not really good for anything.
2: And, 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 you know, it isn't even just acting. It always goes back to our motive because the Pharisees
1: acted. Yeah. Um, but I would also say um, the danger was that they misapplied it. So in the same way that in that um, Luke 4 passage, Psalm 91 was not intended by God <laughs> to <laughs> encourage temple jumping. Um, the, Parkour. Parkour. Um, Um, so it has to be read properly but having said that if it is properly understood it has to be applied and Jesus' uh, criticism of the Pharisees was often that they knew the scriptures but they didn't like the conclusion of the scriptures because it didn't fit their personal agenda so they rejected the Bible the fact is the quality of our spiritual life is not determined by the amount of scripture we know but the extent to which we have applied it That scares me, because um, I've been a lifelong pastor. Um, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, so I don't have any accent at all, unlike my colleagues. I uh, (laughs) speak the Queen's (laughs) English, or at least a derivative of it. Um, And I've pastored my whole life, and I have seen people obsessed with knowledge. People love to consume the information of the Bible. Many Christians do. They read books. They listen to podcasts such as this and many others. They want to go to church, and they pride themselves on knowing facts and things about the Bible that others don't know. It's almost, it's almost like that is the way that we measure our spirituality, is the extent that we know, how much we know about the Bible. But we confuse, we think information is automatically transformation, and it's not. If we're going to read the Bible, we have to do so with a sense of how can I put this into operation in my everyday life? And that, that's harder. Um, I think in some ways, many people need to have stop getting so much information and start applying less information. I think they'd be better off. Have you ever seen any people like that who are consumed, uh, passionate about just gaining knowledge? Rather than living the knowledge,
2: yes, I think that gets to. Oh, I can't. What, what do you what do you call it when you're legalistic? I, uh-huh. I think it gets to legalism. People who, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, and there's there's no freedom, there's no joy, and um, yes, I I have. Going back to my grandmother again, she was legalistic, and yet she had joy. And as a child, she used to—I I don't mean to get off track. I hope I'm not here, but <laughs> she wouldn't go to movies. She wouldn't wear pants. She wouldn't dance, and she loved to dance before she became a Christian. And yet, her heart was right. And as a child, I i i would not have rebelled against her because I saw— her character and her love for the Lord, and it was genuine. Sure. She wasn't, she wasn't a she wasn't being hard to be hard. She was being hard out of love. And it was a real precious thing to see. And I could see I could tell that as a child.
3: Well I think that's the key right there. You know, talking about the Pharisees is they they did not see the scriptures out of an abundance of love. Right. Uh, I know in Philippians, uh, Paul's prayer for the Philippians is that uh, your love will g- grow in knowledge from Jesus, uh, and and if it's not, if that knowledge isn't rooted in love for Christ, the way you treat others and the way uh, you relate to God is going to be askewed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um,
1: Vicky, the um, the reason your grandmother was so effective is that she did apply the Bible. That I think yes. that, as you described her, that as she read the Word, she wanted her life to reflect the truth of Scripture. And so when she comes to people, came to people and said, are you a Christian? They didn't just hear an abrupt accusatory question. They knew her as a person who radiated the person of Christ. Yes. And that application allowed her to be effective in what she was doing. So we may not use those methods, <laughs> but uh, in terms of confronting people on the street... But certainly a transformed life is more likely to uh, draw someone to Christ. And that comes by living the word that we know. God's very passionate about that. The Old Testament and new. In fact, in the Old Testament, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 5, when um, that famous parable is told, um, where the prophet says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. This is a metaphor of uh, Israel's relationship with God. And he goes on talking about this vineyard. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could be done? What could I have done for it? Now I'm going to destroy its hedge, uh, take away its hedge, and it'll be destroyed. I'll break down its wall. He says, I'm going to destroy Israel. Why? Why? Because he says, the vineyard is of the Lord Almighty is the nation Israel. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For hmm. righteousness, but heard cries of distress. What God wanted in Israel was to see Righteous moral transformation. He wanted to have people live the word that he gave them. Psalm 119 says the law is so valuable and he, and he gave them this valuable word and they had it, but they didn't live it. And so he comes in judgment. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field to so no space is left. Woe to you who arise early in the morning to run after drinks. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. He brings judgment down on the, on the people of God because they did not live in accordance with God's word. They may have known it was read regularly every Sabbath, but it didn't affect their everyday life. And that's just not an Old Testament teaching. We find that in New Testament, even from our Savior. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. We look forward to that day, of course. And then he goes on to say, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Okay, so all of humanity is going to be brought into two different groups. What's the difference? What makes one a sheep and what makes one the goat? Well, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by your father, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Huh. The other group? And he says, the ones that the left, apart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. So the difference between these two is not what they knew, but what they did. If if our life is not affected by the scriptures, then we have no hope of eternity. That's scary, isn't it? It's definitely yes. terrifying.
2: <laughs> and it's also, it's also very... Sobering and amazing that the test is how we treat other people. Mm-hmm. God cares about the underdog and he wants us to care about the underdog, and it better show.
1: Well, and because the root of all sin is selfishness. And so we're never more godlike than when we are loving and unselfish in our treatment of others.
2: I could see where that would scare you, Kent.
1: but we'll never be that if we do not we won't we don't know how to live a godly life we need the scriptures to tell us how on our own we would never know how to live a life pleasing to god because of the bible we do but if we don't actually practice what we read it'll make no difference for us and we'll have no hope of heaven so Yes, do your Bible reading. I would encourage us all to continue to grow in our knowledge of God through his word. Of course we do. But my suggestion is that we ask two questions of every passage that we study. One is ask ourselves the question, what? What does this mean? What is God saying to me? I don't think we get marks just because we read through the Bible quickly. I think we need to read for understanding. So I I would always ask, and I would encourage our listeners to ask themselves, what is God saying in this passage? But then to have a second question, and that's what we're driving at in this podcast, we need to ask ourselves the question, so what? What difference will it make this week? when we come to interact with people, as we make decisions about all elements of life, what practical difference will this book, this passage make to me in the days that lie ahead? How can
2: I apply it?
1: Yes. What and so what? Those are questions I think we should write in the front of our Bibles, so that when we open them, we say, I need to understand it, and I need to to live it. So starting next week, our Friday discussions will revolve around the book of James. We're going to start somewhere. And uh, what better book than the practical book of James? What might make our discussions unique will be our continued emphasis on application. We want to encourage each other to move beyond biblical information to life transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, to all of our lives. We want our increased Bible knowledge to increasingly transform us into the image of Christ, because Jesus told us to do so. In Matthew 7, as he ends his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the on rock. the rock. It's putting it into practice that makes the, the, the difference. And Vicki, Nathan, and I want to join you, our listeners, in, our, in your spiritual journey. I think we can encourage each other, not only to understand the Bible, but also to integrate it into the routines of our lives. In this podcast, we want to bring God's words to life, into all of our lives. Do godly people read the Bible? Of course they do, but they also live it. May that be true of us starting this week.
0: So now we have an answer. Godly people do read their Bibles. But they also do what the Bible says. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. We look forward to having you back next Friday as we turn to the book of James and ask the question, why can we remain positive when we face struggles in life? You won't want to miss it.